chapter numbered in the wilderness because that's really what happens in the book of Numbers. There's, there's a reason why it's called Numbers, but uh, we're going to pick up the history of, of Israel. This really is these five books, the Pentateuch, are all about the history of Israel and, and God's uh, providing for his people. This subtitle of this series of messages going through the whole book of Numbers, which we'll be in for many, many months on Wednesday night, is uh, I've, I've subtitled as Learning to Trust in God. Because these people that have been uh, enslaved for 400 years, they, they've really lost the, their focus on God, they're walking with God because they were in that, that foreign land, and God really delivers them miraculously through the 10 plagues, remember? And then the crossing of the Red Sea, and they got to the foot of Mount Sinai, and it's been going off like a volcano with, with Moses going up and down. So for one year since their deliverance from Egypt is what we saw in the book of Exodus. Is that, that last, chap, uh, last section of Exodus is that one year. So they've been there, the children of Israel, Jacob's sons. Remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel by God, his sons, his 12 sons. They're the ones that are... Uh, their families that have grown like rabbits, they're encamped there at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And uh, this is where we, we pick up this, this story about these stubborn people that need to be taught all again, over again. God separates them from the Egyptians. He gives them 10 brand new laws, as, as you know, uh, in Exodus chapter 20. And now they have to learn through this wilderness wandering, which some people entitle this portion of the Bible, the wilderness wanderings of the, the Hebrew, um, God is going to teach them through the wandering, through their trial. And, and I hope that you get that sense as we go through this, that there's an interesting parallel between the wanderings of these children of Israel and what they're learning from God with our wanderings and our lives and our struggles and trials that God allows us in, but he's always with us, so that we'll grow in maturity, so that we'll expand in our faith and our, our uh, loving trust in God. That, so that's what we're seeing with these people in this text. And they're going to learn the hard way that it's always better to trust in God, that to put their faith in God and to follow God and trust in him is always a better way to, to go. The hardest struggle that you and I have is really like the same struggle they're having here in the book of Numbers. It's learning how to trust in God with all of that trials and struggles and difficulties that life throws at us. You know, I hear constantly, not just in our fellowship, but, but around us, there are people that you even know that are going through these really difficult physical issues you know, why would, they go, why would God allow that? He, doesn't he love that child, that pastor? Uh, pastor Frank was telling me tonight that John Corson's son, Peter John Corson, I don't know if you've ever heard Peter John teach, fantastic teacher. He's, he's just in his final days, cancer, he's about gone. There's a guy that, you know, grew up in an awesome home and he's, he's a faithful pastor and he's got cancer, he's dying. He's a young man compared to this old guy and a faithful, you know, Bible teacher, and, and he's, he's dying. Why does God allow those kinds of things? Because God's sovereign. 
God has a purpose, and his plan isn't ours. It's not ours. And he'll lead us through the wilderness to teach us things. And we don't, on this side of heaven, know or, or hardly understand, but we as Christians are to look to the Lord and trust in him and trust his every word. We're to trust his every leading and guiding. He's sovereign. Nothing escapes his watchful eye, nothing. He knows exactly what you're going through. And he cares about you deeply as we have learned, as we look through this scripture and we, we watch these the children of Israel, 400 years. God, did you forget him? He never forgot about him. He had a plan. And he finally delivered them, redeemed them out of their sin, out of, out of Egypt. So God has a purpose. God has a plan. And we just have to follow him by faith. It's Hebrews 3.19. Notice this verse behind me. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. That text of scripture is is speaking directly to the Hebrews while they were wandering in the wilderness. The, the writer of the Hebrews, which, by the way, we start a brand new study in Hebrews on Sunday night. So two brand new studies starting this week. It's been a lot of study preparation for me, but I, again, I, it's what I do. I enjoy it. And, uh, but, but this notice this verse. We see that they were not able to enter. Why? Because of their unbelief. The hardships, the trials, the wandering in the wilderness for the Hebrews was to teach them to trust in God alone. And many times, the things that we go through, the wilderness wanderings that we endure, are to teach us and trust us, or, or teach us that we're to trust in God alone. So it took these people 40 years. As we go through this book of Numbers, it takes place, it's 40 years of wandering that they're going to go through. The psalmist tells us that even God got tired of hearing them whine. These people were whining. It's another one of the, the uh, subtitles for the book of Numbers. It's the book of murmurings because they just whine and whine and whine. Oh, why don't we go back to Egypt, they say. But notice the psalmist in Psalm 95 says this. For 40 years... I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways because they whined and they complained to God. So lots for us to learn, lots of practical application. I hope to uh, bring that out as we teach through this wonderful book. So let's ask God's blessing before we read. Lord, thank you for the word. And I pray that the study would, would teach and instruct us, help us, Lord, as your people. In these latter days, that we would heed your word, that we would listen, Lord, and apply its truth. And I thank you, Lord, for these faithful people who've come here to study the word together. Lord, bless them. Show them. Encourage them. In your word tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the name numbers comes from two numberings that we'll, we're going to see. The first one we see in this chapter 1, and then we'll see another one as we move into chapter 26. So the second one comes, you know, uh, a whole generation later than this first numbering that we're going to be looking at here in chapter 1 tonight. Again, most of the book is describing the wanderings of the children of Israel, but think about that term, wandering. I was thinking about that all day today. I said, like, well, they weren't wandering. 
because God was in their midst. Remember at the end of Exodus, he's there in their camp. So they're not really, they're wandering, but God is in total control. He's sovereign. He's leading them. I love this. Uh, we begin in verse 1 with a subtitle, In the Wilderness. You'll no- notice why. Verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of meeting, on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names. Every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel. You and Aaron, Moses, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. And with you there shall be a man from every tribe each one the head of his father's house. So we begin in the wilderness, notice there in verse 1, and and this word is going to come up again and again. We're going to see this word 48 times as we work our way through these chapters. This term comes up again and again. The the term is midbar in the Hebrew. That means it's uh, translated wilderness to, to us, but it means a desert or it could mean an uninhabited place. So we're talking about a desolate place, a place devoid of foliage and trees. We're talking about a desert. So they're going to be in the desert. They're going to be uh, trusting the Lord. There's, there's not a lot of vegetation, which they're really, really accustomed to. They've just spent 400 years by the Nile River. It's probably really humid there. Plenty of water for their cattle. Remember, they're herds people. All of the children, of they're herds people. They brought their herds from from the, the land of Canaan. They came down to Egypt. And they brought their herds. And, and Joseph, their brother, talked to Pharaoh and, and got them this really fertile land that the Egyptians, they weren't into that. This stinky. And remember, the Egyptians wouldn't hang out with the Hebrews. And the Hebrews loved it because their cattle began to eat and they, there was plenty of vegetation. And they did. Now they're in the desert. They, they don't know what to do there. It's, it's midbar. It's uninhabited. It's this place of uh, a desert. Um, the timing of the book, as it says right here in verse 2, it kind of gives us this, or the end of verse 1, on the first day of the second month, second year after they come out of Egypt, the timing really is the uh, second year of their 40 years. So this is the second year. They spent one year, the book of Exodus. Now this is their second year. They've been at the foot of Mount Sinai for like eight or nine months. As God's speaking to Moses, giving all these commands. They have the law now. They have all that they need to, uh, to be the nation God wants them to be. This is around 1444 B.C., if that means anything to you. long time ago, um, that's when this takes place. But another important lesson here in Numbers is, is that while it's often necessary to go through a wilderness experience, and I'm applying this again to you and I, it's really important that you don't have to live there, that you can make choices to make your life better. You can move out of the wilderness if you want to. And I think that's a really important point to make. And these people have volition. God is leading them, but it's because of their stubborn decisions and their whining and complaining. Rather than trust in him, that they they stuck in the desert 
where they didn't like it, where they didn't really belong. It was their disobedience. It was their unbelief. That's why they were there so long. So, so really, it's important for us to understand that this 11-day march, it's calculated that from where they were at Sinai, it would take 11 days to march to get to Canaan. But this 11-day march is going to turn into 40 years because of their unbelief, because of their disobedience. And so in those 40 years, they're going to learn something. You know what they're going to learn? Submission, which is a good thing for every one of us as Christians. We need to learn to submit ourselves to the Word of God and submit to His truth and submit to the Holy Spirit. And that's what they're going to learn. It It takes 40 years. Would you not agree... And you don't have to shake your head or raise your hand, but wouldn't you agree that submission's hard? And sometimes God has to really, really work us over to get us to that place where we finally, finally, with all our heart and will, we yield to the Lord and submit to him. So that's really what they're learning here. And again, when we read Numbers, it's it's not just an individual book. It, It connects directly to Exodus, as we'll see tonight. And it moves us right through this whole, you know, narrative of the five books written by Moses, the Pentateuch. And again, you'll notice with this first verse, it ends with what, where we ended in, in the book of Exodus with the tabernacle. Notice that again, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle. That's where God just went, chapter 40 of Exodus. Um, and then... Uh, the location and, and where they were and all those things. So he's, God has brought them to this place and we find ourselves in this narrative that is a continuation of the story that we've been reading. And I, I believe as we're reading the narrative that Moses is kind of assuming that we understand the rest of it. So he doesn't give us a background to this book. That's why we flow from one book again to the other. And this is kind of an interesting thing. What I want you to do is... is Go all the way to the New Testament to 1 Corinthians 10. Again, I'm doing an introduction tonight, but you'll see the pertinence here. You're, you're going to see why, how this fits together. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 because the Apostle Paul gives us really a quick outline of, of numbers here in 1 Corinthians. I, again, I just want to show you how the Bible fits together, Old and New Testament, same God. I love these these wonderful truths. But notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, notice what Paul says beginning in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. Who did that? Who did that? The Hebrews, right? We just read about that. Verse 2. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. What was that? Manna and quail. They all drank the same spiritual drink because God provided. Struck the rock and the rock water came from it. For they drank the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. So here's Paul equating the wanderings of the children to the New Testament believer. But again, I want you to see how this fits together. Verse 5, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. Remember those stories. They're, they're murmuring. They're whining. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Wow, well, how did that happen? Well, they're going to be there 40 years, and a lot of them are going to die. 
some of the tribes are going to lose a lot of their people because they were disobedient and then judgment of God. We're going to see that as we go through Numbers. And then here's probably the most important verse of Paul's writing here, verse 6. These things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. So we're supposed to look at the history of the children of Israel, and as Christians, we're supposed to go, oh, we better not do that. They did the wrong thing, so we can learn from what they did wrong here. And Paul says that. They became examples so that we don't lust after evil things that they lusted after. That was idolatry. And then the people uh, do not become idolaters with some of them. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. There's a reference to the calf and the golden calf incident. Verse 8, now, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 died. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Again, verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. It brings context into that portion of Scripture that we have memorized, doesn't it? It's the children of Israel. It's their example, their bad example in several areas here. Again, Paul's reason why he includes the story of the Exodus right here in, in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 10 is, is that they became our examples. He's saying that the stories from 3,500 years ago can be applied. Can, we can learn from them as New Testament believers. And these things became our examples. Again, that's the statement. I read that statement, and my mind goes like this, bing. That makes everything that we're going to read, and this, that's 3,500 years old, relevant today. And I hope you get that. But this study in the Old Testament, and that's why I'm so stoked on studying the Old Testament with you. I hope you get excited like I do. This stuff is just as relevant today as it was. And Paul makes that case it's all written for our example. I, I mean, look at verse 8 again. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 died. I mean, think about the immorality in the society and the culture we live in. Wouldn't you say it's pretty immoral? I mean, from top to bottom, politically, Hollywood. I don't, you can name whatever you name, but it's, it's twisted. And... Uh, I, I, again, this book is relevant, the Old Testament, the book of Numbers. And then what about all their mumbling and complaining and griping about life and about God and where are you, God, and why don't you make my life easier and how come you're not around? Why, what's wrong? You know, wine, 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 wine. That's, that's what they do in this book. Paul says, look at verse 10, nor complain as some of them also complain 
and were destroyed by the destroyer. All these things, verse 11, were happened to them as examples, written for our admonition. So I love the way Paul ties that all together there. He points out that, that all the bad things that happened to the children of Israel, they were written to warn you so that the same things, you wouldn't fall into the same temptations. You wouldn't fall into the same trials. So this book is very appropriate to study, very relevant for us today. And I hope I can make those points as we work through our study together. Again, if you're like me, you've complained. And some of you complain more than others. But if you've ever been disobedient to God, it's, it's these people in that verse I read from Psalms. God gets tired of it. He's, he, gets to, he, wants, he wants you to be satisfied with all the good things he gives you. And instead, we complain. I didn't get the car with a bow. Remember my sermon on, I didn't get the car with a bow, so Christmas wasn't really that great. Instead of, <laughs> instead of just, Lord, thank you for that little plastic china thing. I love it. Lots of plastic china stuff from Amazon. That's what I'm referring to. Maybe I'm the only one that got plastic china stuff, but it's fun. You know, it's a lot of fun, but the truth is, is, is we complain and we murmur and we, we're just like these people. So numbers, let's go back to numbers. It begins in the wilderness and the Lord spoke to Moses there in the wilderness and God uses wilderness in our lives. Here's the application as we kind of move through. There's a lot of verses here, but we're going to just blaze through them. You, you won't believe how quick we'll fly through this chapter. The truth is that God uses wilderness experiences in the lives of his people here in Numbers to purify them, to set them apart. To, it's, it's the New Testament principle of sanctification, to set us apart from sin so that we can be used for his holy purpose. It's one thing to say I serve the Lord, but I can't serve the Lord and, and Satan at the same time. You're, um, I, I've, I've, you, know, you, you might try to do that. You'll be miserable. It won't work. You have to be set apart. When you serve the Lord, it doesn't matter if you're ushering or Sunday school teaching or worship leading. It doesn't matter what it is. When you start to sin by your own volition and then you do what you do, God's Holy Spirit's going to come and crush and you're going to go through a wilderness experience because God wants to separate you from that sin. He wants to purify you. So wilderness experiences are they're really good because they separate us from the bad. And that's what God is going to do with these people. It's going to take 40 years. I hope it doesn't take 40 years for you. I hope that you can learn from the example as we go through this. And maybe the light will go on, bing, in your brain. You'll go, I better stop doing that. I want to stop. I want victory in my life. And again, that's what we learn as we look into this book of uh, Numbers. Sanctification happens when we're purified. Trials bring growth. And being in the wilderness causes us to look to God alone. It did in Numbers, and it will do it today. That's, that's one of the points. Interestingly, we'll see the numbers, and I love the, the numbers here that we're going to look at. We'll get to those. But 
Notice here in verses 2 to 4, it's the first census of Israel. Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, their fathers, according to the number or names of every male. So they're, they're, they're going to take the name of the, the uh, uh, tribe, the tribal name, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12, 12 um, sons of Jacob. We're going to start there, and then we're going to go to the current elder within that tribe. Kind of a neat way to think of your family as a tribe. I'm gonna, I start thinking of my family as a tribe. We have a tribe because we have five, and now we have grandkids, so we, really, we officially have a tribe, which is kind of cool. It's biblical, right? And so they take the, the name of the son of, of Jacob, and then they take the the eldest from that tribe, and he becomes kind of like the, the liaison, the lieutenant, you know, if you would. God is organizing his people here uh, into a fighting army. It's kind of interesting. Uh, they're male who are able to go to war. You and Aaron shall number them by their armies here. So the census is specifically designed to choose all the able-bodied fighting men. You could kind of see this as a draft. Every man that's 20 years or older to fighting age, some commentators believe that was 50, some move up to 60. So from 20 to 60 was the fighting age of these men. So those are the only ones that are numbered. So we've left out the 19 below, and there's probably a lot of them. We've left out all the grandmothers and mothers, probably a lot of them, and then the seniors over 50 or maybe 60. None of them are counted. So it's important to understand that. This census here um, is numbering. They're numbering the the males of fighting age. And then notice from verse 5 here, we get the heads of the tribes. These are the names of the men who shall stand with you from Reuben. Remember, Reuben's one of the sons of Jacob. We have Reuben. And this Elzer, the son of Shudur. And then from Simeon, Jacob's second son. It's Shilumiel, the son of Zerushaddai. From Judah, again. Then you have Ishkar, Zebulun, verse 10. Joseph, Manasseh, uh, verse 11. Benjamin, verse 12. Dan, verse 13. Asher, Gad, Naphtali. So these are all the sons of Jacob. And they've long since died, but the tribal name has followed them like your last name. Anybody in here do Ancestry.com and you want to find out all about your ancestors? Kind of fun, right? Where they came from. You know, we've, I was talking to my sister last night about my Euro ancestors, Scandinavian. Lots of Scandinavian blood. I mean, I think I look kind of Nordic. I like to think of myself as being Nordic. I don't know if that's noble or not. But we all, we like that, right? Now, these people, they had a, a background. They had a name. And, and that was their tribal name. And so they knew it and they were associated with it, even though they were 400 years in Egypt. So they come out of that, that background with their name intact. And then the eldest now is going to be named as as an assistant to Moses, a lieutenant in the army. And he's going to round up his tribe, all those people with that name, and 
pick all the men that are 20 years and old and get this fighting army together. So this is how God is organizing uh, all these tribes. Verse 16 says, these were chosen from the congregation leaders of their fathers, tribes, heads of the divisions in Israel. So Israel's now organized by the tribes that descended from the original 12 sons of Jacob. And you hear me use the term, I'll say Jacob or Israel or the children of Israel. That's really the, probably the best way to say it. These are the children of Jacob or children of Israel, the 12 sons that we're talking about. And this is the nation, these are the people that God sovereignly chose. These are his people. He chose them out of, you know, Ab their Abraham's, Isaac, Jacob, who became Israel, who had this 12 sons. That's, that's the history. The, that's why you need to know Genesis, Exodus, and now Numbers. Leviticus is, we studied uh, on Sunday night, which was really good. That fits in here too. If you were here on Sunday night, so you really have a, a real background to what we're doing. But, but these books really give us the history of Abraham and, and God's promises to him. So all of these sons here, like Elzer in verse 5 or Shulemuel there in verse 6 and all their interesting names, all the heads of the tribes. They stand with Moses, and they're going to lead now in, in battle. Now, the number being 12 is something that people ask about. What, where's Joseph? Why don't we have Joseph in this? In this? Wasn't Joseph one of Jacob's sons? Well, yeah, he was his favorite son. Jacob's favorite son was Joseph. Why isn't Joseph named here? That's the question you get all the time. The 12 tribes of Israel really are 13, right? Because there's one tribe not named here. Which one is it? You probably know. Levi. Levi is not mentioned because Levi doesn't get land because Levi has a special job. We're going to see that here. Levi is the family, the tribe of the priests. They're, they don't get land. They're not called to war. They're just called to serve God in the tabernacle and do their thing. So Levi would have been the 13th tribe. He's not mentioned. But we have Jacob's son, Joseph. We get these two, Ephraim and Manasseh, verse 10. So it explains it right there. From the sons of Joseph, Ephraim, and the name of the, the, the one that's alive there is Elishama, the son of Amhidad. That's an interesting name. And then from Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur. So again, the 12 tribes, the 12 tribes, and now the leaders, the lieutenants are chosen. They're being organized. And by the way, just as a side note, the Nashon there in verse 7, look at that name, Nashon, in verse 7. He was the head of the house of what? What does it say? Judah. Jesus came from the tribe of what? Judah. So that name's really important. When you come to the book of Matthew in the New Testament, in the first chapter of Matthew, it's like name after name after, it's a whole genealogy to Jesus, right? That's what that is, a genealogy. Guess whose name is in there? Can you put it up on the screen there for me? Matthew 1, 4, here it is. It's Amhimadab, the father of, here it is, Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon. So there's the connection in the New Testament where Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah as promised. Another one of those prophecies in the Old Testament that, that's historically factual in the New Testament. 
But here in these verses, verses 5 through 16, we have all the leaders now, the 12 lieutenants, who are going to assist Moses in, in finding the 20-year-old males up to the whatever fighting age was and name them. They're going to be registered. They're going to be drafted, really, in a sense. That's, that's what goes on. Verse 17, notice the details. And Moses and Aaron took these men who had been mentioned by name, and they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month, and they recited their ancestry by families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above each one individually, as the Lord commanded Moses. So he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. So again, you have the 12 leaders of the tribes. They were the ones that drafted or counted and then brought that accounting in a public display as everybody got together there. Now, from verse 20 to 43, Moses gives us the numbers from each tribe. So there's the tribal name and the number. It's very repetitious. There's no reason to really read it all. You can read it on your own, uh, all those verses, if you want to. But each tribe and then how many from the tribe. It's the tribe name and the number that's important there. But go down to verse 44, where we get the summary now, the census summary, verse 44. These are the ones who were numbered, whom Moses and Aaron, Aaron numbered with the leaders of Israel, 12 men, each one representing his father's house. So all who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's houses from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war in Israel, all who were, verse 46, numbered were, here's the number, 603,550. So the total count of potential soldiers in this army that's being prepared is 603,550. Now, here's where scholars, and I think you and I can think the same way, if we factor in the 19 and below, all the little kids and babies, all the mothers and grandmothers, this is how you can go from the 603,550 fighting men to two and maybe three million wandering in the desert. This is how you get that number. Gee, Pastor Lee, how would you get that number? Well, think about it. 20 and above, only males. No daughters are counted. No women are counted. No babies. Nobody under and the age of 20 and nobody over the age of like 50 is numbered. Two, million, two and a half million people camping together. And they're not by water. They're in the wilderness. You've got to remember that all this time. How do you feed all these people with no vegetation? How do you provide for all these people in the desert? How do you do that? Who does that? That's right. Only God. Only God. I, I love that. So there we have this, this uh, detail about their total. And again, this number that I'm throwing out here, two and a half million, it validates what God promised Abraham. This is where it all started. Again, you, if you've been with me studying through Genesis, Exodus, the last five years we've done this, but look at this verse in Genesis 12. Here is the promise. This is the Abrahamic covenant. Here it is. I will make you a great nation. Stop right there. Abraham, he's looking at God. So I don't even have any kids, God. I got nothing. And Sarah's 90. 
I'm 100 years old. This is, how are you going to do this? God, his, his promise. I will make you a great nation. And here we are in the book of Numbers, in the very first chapter, and there's how many sons of Israel? There's 603,000 603, fighting men. And then all these other people. That's a great nation. Would you not agree? God has fulfilled his promise, his covenant to Abraham. And he's got this special people now. And he's going to use these people to do a special thing. But now he's got to get them from the wilderness to the promised land. So there's a history. I, I love history. And that's what I love most about the Bible. So here we have this great nation. Now, verse 44, the special uncounted tribe of Levi. I mentioned this a little earlier. Look at verse 40, well, it's actually 47, pardon me, 47. But the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. Verse 48, for the Lord had spoken to Moses saying, only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel, and the question comes, well, why not count the Levites? Because the census is for armies, the census is for fighting men. Levites are not fighting men. Their responsibility was to the tabernacle, to God, and to minister there. God didn't want them in war and in battle. In fact, you remember David. David, the greatest warrior, the greatest leader Israel ever had. I'm going to build you a temple, God. I'm going to build you a temple. Remember what God told him? No, you're not. Do you remember why God wouldn't allow David to build the temple? Do you remember? Because you are a man of what? War. Your hands are bloodstained. So your son, Solomon, is going to build the temple. Remember Solomon's temple. Solomon built the temple. David was not allowed. David got all the materials together. David got all the wood, got all the stone, got all the stuff ready, but God would not allow him to build it. So the Levites, this is a tribe that God has a special purpose for, special duties. Notice verse 50, but you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony over all its furnishings and over all the things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. I mean, think about that. Remember how big it was? I mean, in all the loops and the poles and the curtains, they got to move this stuff around. And the gold-covered walls, heavy, heavy, uh, the, the silver 250-pound a basis for each pole that held up the outside, hundreds of those. And these guys got a big job. They, they don't have time to go to war. They have to construct the temple, put it together, lift it, carry all the stuff around. Verse 51, and when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up. The outsider, notice this, who comes near shall be put to death. Wow. So God was very serious about the Levites and their responsibility and their calling and their, their work. And I want them doing this other stuff. This is exactly what I want them to do. They were not counted, the Levites, were not counted as soldiers. Their job was to take care of the tabernacle. And then here's another interesting fact that comes out here in Numbers. Look at this, verse 52. They, they kind, they're kind of a buffer between the tabernacle and the people. So you have the tabernacle in the middle of it, and then the Levites surround the tabernacle, and then on the outside of the Levites, then the, you have the camping of the tribes in order. We're going to see that next week, the way they're arranged. But look at verse 52. The children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. 
But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children. The Levites were set apart by God to protect that tabernacle and to protect the people from wandering, stumbling in there in their sin and dying because of the holiness of God. So they had a, a real purpose there. So the wrath on the congregation, the children of Israel, the, is, the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. Verse 54, thus the children of Israel did according to all the Lord commanded Moses, so they did. So the whole nation is organized. The army has been drafted. And God is, is preparing these people now to march He's going to move them. Now, remember, the march would take 11 days, but it's going to take 40 years because of their unbelief, because of their whining and complaining. And uh, God has a purpose and God has a plan. And this was written, this record was written, and it's relevant to you and I today so that we would learn, so that we'll know and not make the same mistakes that these people made. Next week, we come to the uh, arrangement of all of the, the people in chapter 2. We'll look at that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight. I just ask that you would uh, bless now your people. As we apply, Lord, the truth of, of the wandering Hebrews here to our lives, and sometimes we're wandering, sometimes we're complaining, Lord, teach us that we need to believe and walk by faith. Bring us out again, I think, even on Sunday night. I ask that you bring the body out to learn about what a walk of faith is, the book of Hebrews. There's so much wonderful truth in the Bible. Lord, get our fellowship stoked on your word. Help them to know that it's available if they'll only come. And thank you for these that are here tonight, Lord. What blesses my heart. I'm so grateful. So, Lord, we thank you and we bless you. Thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to draw from it and live by it, by faith. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. It's my, my goal, not really a resolution, but my goal to, to teach about 45 minutes on Wednesday nights, partially because you guys fall asleep after, if I go over 45. Um, and and I, I hope that you just don't rush out of here. We're going to do one worship song. There'll be, you know, 10, 12 minutes to hang. You can hang in here. You can go to the bookstore and grab a, what do you have tonight? A donut. And coffee. You have coffee. Coffee and donut. And fellowship. Sit in there and fellowship. It's cold outside. Or come back in here. Can't bring your donut back in here, though. That's a bummer. Because then Ashley would have to clean it off the seat. Um, but let's but, but hang in fellowship church. I'm hoping to keep my studies this year so that on Wednesday night we can spend more time fellowshipping together. Let's worship the Lord.